First world problems. You guys know this phrase? Have you heard the phrase first world problems? Uh, This this comes around a lot, especially like after you've been on a mission trip or something like that. But but, uh, first world problems, if you haven't heard the phrase, let me give you you some examples of first world problems. Uh, A first world problem is the the Wi-Fi is free, but it's really slow. A uh, first world problem is uh, uh, they, only w- they only gave you one dipping sauce with your nuggets. A first world problem is uh, that uh, your, lap char- your, your laptop charge doesn't last long enough. A first world problem is uh, your mom won't let you have a cell phone until you get into the fifth grade. A first world problem is you can't hear the TV because you're eating a crunchy snack. A first world problem is uh, your pool cover just doesn't open quite right. A first world problem is, uh, uh, see if this one sounds familiar. You can't decide which delicious restaurant you would like to eat lunch at. Has that ever happened to you? Or you ate so much food for lunch that you are now tired. Has that ever happened? So these are, these are some first world problems. And while I was thinking about first world problems, I, I started to ask the question, well, what are first church world problems? First church world problems. So I, I made a list. Maybe you can add some. First church world problems are, uh, man, we stand too long in praise and worship. First church world problems are, uh, there's just too many churches to choose from. A first church world problem is that uh, we have a church work day this Saturday. We really do. Uh, first church world problem is that they expect us to tithe or they put the wrong words on the screen. A first church world problem is that the music is too loud or the AC too cold or the preacher preaches too long. Don't you even think it? It's just going to come back at you. A first, wor- first church world problem is that there's not enough Krispy Kreme, or I love these next two. There are too many new songs and not enough hymns. Ever hear that? All right, on the other side of that is there are too many hymns and not enough new songs. Uh, we hear that both in the same week, believe it or not. Uh, and then a first church world problem is they expect me to volunteer in the nursery twice in a month. So um, why, do, uh, why bring these up? There is a theme in 1 Peter uh, that, uh, that, that I've been dancing around a little bit. I've hinted at it, and we've, we've kind of poked and prodded at it, but, but the truth is there's an, there's an elephant, uh, and not a small one, but a big elephant that sits right in the center of 1 Peter. And today, we're going to try to address it. Go ahead and put that slide. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 2, 21. This is, this, is, this is the elephant in the room of 1 Peter. He says, for God called you to do good, even if it means what? Just as Christ suffered for you. Christ has given us this example of, in this context, suffering. And you must follow in his footsteps. This theme of suffering is uh, something that Peter returns to again and again. 
If you've been reading along in our reading guide, you see that, that this theme of suffering shows up again and again, especially against Christians, and, and especially Christians who are suffering what Peter calls fiery trials. They, they are suffering because they are identifying themselves with Jesus Christ. Now, this is hard for us because we live in a first church kind of world. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, how many have you, how many have you have endured fiery trials because you have identified yourself with the name Jesus Christ? Does that happen? Does it happen all the time? When have you said, man, I am really suffering because I'm a Christian? So m my guess is maybe, maybe that's not the most common thing for you. You know, we have, we have different first world problems, like the preacher preaches too long. We have too many churches. But, but really, suffering... So here's what I want to do. I want to introduce you, like, as we talk about this theme of suffering, it's going to be a little bit hard for us to, to imagine or, or to put on or understand this theme of suffering, actually suffering, physically suffering for Jesus Christ. It may be a little bit hard for some of us to relate to. So uh, what I want to introduce you to is if, if we in first church world are not suffering for Christ— then who is? What do you think? Sobering, right? I don't know a, a whole lot about Open Doors, frankly. This, uh, this organization, I know they've been around for 60 years. I know in, in 1981, this Open Doors ministry, they, in, in 81, they, snuggled, they, they smuggled a million Bibles into China. In 1986, they did the same thing in Russia. Today, they give more than 2 million Bibles every single year, and they train over 250,000 church leaders. One of the things they do to, to help us kind of wake up to this idea of uh, Christians who are suffering is they publish a, a list every year of 50 countries where it's hardest to be a Christian. I think maybe I even have, a, have an image of it. And uh, what they would say is that persecution is any hostility as a result of identifying with Christ. North Korea is at the top of the list for many years, as well as the Middle East, parts of Africa, and, and Asia. Uh, a lot of this is due to uh, Islamic, extreme, uh, Islamic extremism. Uh, in, in fact, of the 50 countries, maybe 35, this is, this is the highest factor leading towards uh, Christian persecution. Uh, in India, India is actually number 15 on the list. Uh, India has 40 incidents a month where pastors are beaten or churches are burned or Christians are harassed. 40 instances a month. But I want you to know it's not just somewhere far across the pond from us, but uh, last year in Mexico, Mexico is actually on this list. Mexico is number 39. Maybe you didn't realize that. In Mexico, last year, 23 Christian leaders were killed specifically for their faith in Jesus Christ. The Christians in these top 50 countries uh, uh, number about 215 million. 
and they experience high, very high, or extreme persecution, about two-thirds of the U.S. population, or I'll put it to you this way, one in 12 Christians worldwide are suffering for the name of Jesus. Open Doors reports that incidents of persecution rose for the third year in a row. And after 25 years of, of documenting which of the 50 most dangerous places to be a Christian, after 25 years of documenting political and societal persecution felt by Christians, uh, 2016 and 2017 were the worst years yet. Now let's talk about Peter's letter again. Peter is writing to Christians who are experiencing suffering for the name of Jesus. They are experiencing fiery trials. And, and I bring up open doors to you in these 50 countries and these 215 million Christians facing extreme or high levels of persecution for, for one reason. In Somalia, uh, in, uh, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, in North Korea, they read 1 Peter's letter different than we do. Are you with me? And they need Peter's letter in a way that maybe we never have. So if you'll permit me, I want to I look again at this theme of suffering that Peter presents. And, and I want you to listen, not as someone who is experiencing first church world problems, but as someone who maybe lives as a part of one of those 50 countries. Can you do that? I want you to listen. Imagine, just put yourself, listen with their ears to what Peter says to them about persecution and suffering and pain. I'm going to go through a bunch of verses quickly as, as I try to share some of this with you. In chapter 4, verse 12 of Peter's letter, he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. In verse 15 and 16, he says, If you suffer, suffer for being a Christian and praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. What he says, and from Peter's perspective, is that suffering is part of the Christian experience, maybe even an unavoidable part of the Christian experience. And what should surprise us is if we have not experienced persecution for our faith. Think about that. That means that either... Our culture is perfectly aligned with Jesus and God so that there's no distinction or our faith has become indistinguishable from the culture around us. Which do you think it is? Peter, Peter expects fiery trials. He expects suffering as a Christian because Christians live a countercultural lifestyle in obedience to God first and foremost and culture will always respond negatively in chapter 5 verse 9 Peter goes on to say I think I have that verse there it is Peter says Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. 
How important do you think that message is to someone who is in the midst of persecution? The message is you are not alone. When we experience suffering for our faith, it it strengthens us and aligns us with other Christians around the world. And not only does suffering serve to align us with other Christians, it aligns us with Jesus Christ himself. Look what it says in verse 13. Peter says, instead, be very glad for these trials. These trials make you, what's that word? Partners with Christ in his suffering. Go on, look at the next verse. Verse 14, it says, And if you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. That's some powerful stuff right there, right? He says, the Shekinah of God will rest upon you. This, the presence of God, when you experience suffering for Christ's name, then somehow you join with him. You, you experience a deep and profound connection with him and his mission and his purpose. I love what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, maybe more familiar to some of you. In Romans it says, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Peter goes on in, verse, uh, uh, in chapter 3, verse 18. He says, believe it or not, this is the example He says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring them safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. And now don't miss miss this next part. Fast forward to chapter four, verse one. He says, since Christ suffered physical death for you to defeat sin, he says, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same what? Attitude is everything, isn't it? Arm yourself with the same attitude he had. Do you remember those last moments of Jesus' life? Sweat like drops of blood, feeling the, the, the power and the urgency and, and the fear of the moment that was about to come. Sweat like drops of blood, but as he prayed, he didn't pray, man, God, if you could just give me a pass on this one. What did he say? Your will be done. That's the attitude we're to have. Must arm yourself with the same attitude and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you've finished with sin. I love this, that that he talks about this Christian attitude. Have the same attitude as Christ because, because frankly, Christians, who men and women who identify with Christ, we have a different, like the way we think about, about, uh, about suffering and persecution is different. Uh, the, the way we, we experience it even, even can be different. These difficulties, these things can, can, of course, provide more excuses for us to sin, but that's not who Christians are. 
persecution and suffering can provide opportunity to sin, but it can also provide an incredible opportunity to glorify God. Are you with me? In 419, in, in chapter 4, verse 19, he says, commit to doing what's right in the face of suffering when it really counts. And, and here's this part that I, I don't want you to miss. Like, like, honestly, I think Christians should be experts at suffering. We should. It's not only is it the example of Jesus, but, but we have something to cling to, something to hold on to that, that is greater than the worst thing that you could ever feel. Do you believe that? Have you ever been with that like, like, like super faithful Christian in the hospital? Man, I've, I, I've had the honor and, and that's the right word for it. I've had the honor of being next to the hospital bed of the super faithful Christian who is moments away from death. And you know what? They're not afraid. If anything, even in that moment, even in the, in the valley of the shadow of death, I've seen Christians rise above the suffering to proclaim the goodness and the glory of Jesus Christ. Have you seen that? Like this is the calling of the Christian life. It's a calling to readiness and a calling to steadiness. We see uh, like our response to suffering and our response to enemies and those who would want to hurt us. Like we see our response to that can be a powerful opportunity to share the faith. Christians see in pain opportunity. They see in darkness the chance for God's glorious light to shine. Let's keep going in verse 10. Peter says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. How many of those 50 countries do you think this, this verse is close to their heart? After you have suffered a little while, what he tells them is that, and this is, the, this is one of the great messages of the Christian faith, is that no matter what you are facing, it is temporary. It is temporary. And not only is, your, is our suffering temporary, but in our suffering, God has not abandoned you. And so, chapter 4, verse 19, Peter goes on to say, um, he says, so if you are suffering in the manner that pleases God. Keep on doing what's right and trust your lives to God who created you for he will never fail you. I don't know if you, said, if you caught that language right there in the middle. He says, he says trust your lives to God and uh, it's the language of, of, of banks. But if you could imagine in the first century, I mean, when these words were written, there was no such thing as a bank. Uh, there was no such thing as, as, as a safe. There was, there was no such thing 
such thing as somewhere you could, you could safely leave your valuables or, or leave your money. If you had to go on a trip, you had to take it with you or that word trust, you had to leave your precious thing with a friend or a neighbor. All right, are you with me? You didn't have a bank, you didn't have a safe. And so what you had to do was leave it with someone else, your prize, your treasure, your possession. You had to leave it with your neighbor. And this in the ancient world, like the, the fact that somebody would leave their treasure, their prize with you was like the ultimate sign of, of sacred trust, right? Like you didn't even joke about not giving it back. You didn't even joke about, well, I lost it. You know, like, no, no, like none of that's even funny. Like it is such a powerful trust. It's, it is a bond of honor when you leave your prized possession with someone else. And that's the language that Peter uses when he says, trust your lives to God. That's, that's what he says is, is to keep on doing what's right, but, but give this your, your whole self into his hands. In fact, Jesus uses that same language on the cross, in Luke 23, verse 46, Jesus uses the exact same language. He says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So even in the midst of, of suffering, give, trust your whole self to God. And then what does he say? And he will never fail you. So what do we do with all this? I want to give you kind of kind of two two courses of action as as we as we kind of come to the end of our time together. Um the first course of action that I'm going to tell you to do is uh, I'm just going to ask that you remember and pray for your fellow Christians around the world. How many of you were struck by that video? Man, I, I, I confess to you, like, I, I, I don't know that I had any. I mean, I kind of had an idea, but I didn't really have an idea. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is I, I want you to pray for Christians around the world, and uh, what we do here, and as a part of our, our tradition, but a, but but a part of our identity is to to share in a communion experience every single week. So you see around the room, there are three tables with the elements of communion: the blood, uh, the the cup which represents Christ's blood poured out for us, and the bread which represents His flesh broken <laughs> and torn for us. It, it's a way of us uh, identifying with Christ suffering, right? But also the glory that comes through his sacrifice for us. So in just a minute, I'm going to send you to a, a time of communion to the tables. Uh, but while you're there, uh, I, I've done something a little bit different. Uh, I, I've placed the maps of the 50 most difficult countries in the world, the, the, where the places, the 50 places where Christians face this most stringent persecution. I've placed those maps on each of the tables. And while you enter into this communion experience, I, I, I encourage you, just pick up one of those maps. Maybe pick a, look at, look at the list of countries. They're, they're color-coded, red, yellow, and orange. 
Pick a country and let's, let's pray specifically for those Christians who are suffering. I, I, think, it's, I think it's maybe important for us to note, um, especially in light of the events of the 4th of July and what just happened. I think it's important for us as Christians to, to remember that many people worldwide share our faith but not our freedom. And let's lift up those men and women who are struggling, 215 million. And so while you take communion, I invite you to to pray for them. Uh, uh, I encourage you, if you want to get plugged in today, you can open up, uh, go to opendoors.org. You can find ways to buy Bibles or you can write letters to Christians who are in prison all over the world. It's really pretty, pretty incredible. But let's, let's identify with men and women who are suffering for the name of Christ. And the second thing I, I want you to do as you enter into this, this kind of responsive communion space is uh, I, I want you to remember your baptism oath. Um, maybe that's, that's interesting language for you, but it, right in the middle of, of this talking about suffering and fiery trials. Peter, in, in chapter 3, verse 21, he, he talks about baptism. He, he brings baptism right up to the surface, uh, which maybe seems weird. But in the midst of suffering and difficulty, he says, I want you to remember your baptism. I, I want you to be baptized. And he uses in chapter 3, verse 21, I, I didn't put it on the screen, he uses very specific language. He says, I want you to give a response to God from a clean conscience. And really the language is, uh, um, maybe, maybe you're familiar with the word sacrament. You guys know that word? Have you heard that? Sacrament of baptism is, is what he means. And, and a sacrament is, is this thing of kind of entering into a contract or agreement. It's, it's this holy thing. Like, like a sacrament is, is the way of like if you make a deal with somebody else, it's remembering, hey, I've got a, this is my side of the deal and I'm going to follow through with my side of the deal. So some of you maybe even recognize this language from the sacrament of marriage, Right? Like it, it is this bargain, but, but sacrament actually is, is there's, there's a version of this word sacrament that comes from a Latin word, and the, and the Latin word is for a soldier's oath of loyalty. Think about that. If you wanted to join the military, if you wanted to become a soldier today, you could, right? I don't think we're still drafting people. But if you wanted to go and join the military, you could leave this building. You could go and find a recruiting office. I'm sure there's some here in Franklin, right? Maybe some of you have done this. And you walk into the office and say, hey, I want to I enlist. And you know that enlisting means that there is going to become, there, there, there's actually a side of this that you're going to have to follow through with, right? And you, and you make this oath. And sacrament is this, and that's the language Peter uses. Like, like he uses this, like in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of, of fiery trials and difficulty, what he says is, remember your soldier's oath of loyalty.
remember that you accepted the terms of service. And that, and that means the, all of the privileges that come with being a, a Christian and all of the promises that come with being a Christian, but also all of the responsibilities and demands that come from being a Christian. Remember your baptism oath. The founder of Open Doors, pretty pretty interesting guy. If you if you if you look into it and dig deeper, he was smuggling Bibles into Eastern Europe. They interviewed him recently, and he talked about Christians in the West, especially uh, First Church Christians. And he said, "Man, the Christians in the West, they're all cowards." And he challenged Christians of the West to have guts, to have courage, to have conviction. And so if there is a second response for you today as you go to these tables and you pray for those Christians facing suffering, I I want you to please take seriously your faith. I want you to please hold Jesus with, with serious intent again. I think we need that in the, in the United States of America. Amen? I want you to hold tightly and remember your soldier's oath. Your, remember again your sense of mission. Remember your purpose and, and calling to advance the kingdom of God at all costs. And as you pray for those who hold their commitment to Christ so dear, remember your own. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Uh, This is a a tough word and it, it, it strikes us heavily. And so, Father God, use it not to, not to call, cause us to feel guilty, but embolden us with the power of your Spirit. Let us not turn a blind eye to those Christians, those, who are, those of our brothers or sisters who go by your name, who are experiencing incredibly difficult things. And Father God, as we remember them, remind us again of our own oath to you as we trust our whole selves to you again. Father God, maybe we have turned or shunned an opportunity. Maybe we have, we've, we've kind of casually avoided opportunity to make your name great, to glorify you in this place. And so, Father God, forgive us, forgive us those sins, but help us as we move forward. Father God, remind us of the seriousness of your call and our mission. Father God, make us strong. Make us strong in the faith. God, I pray for for our country, for our nation, for the people here, that Christians would be men and women of character and strength and conviction. And Father God, we know that courage doesn't come from ourselves, but it comes from the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we remember his sacrifice for us each and every week. Give us strength to follow his example. Let us enjoy the promise, but also the demand. We love you, Father. 
Bless us as we enter into this time of communion and prayer. We love you. In your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,